is the author of NBA 75, The Definitive History. We now welcome Dave Zerum onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Dave? It's going great. How are you? Really good, man. Thanks for joining the show. So um, I'll start off with just a, ba- a basic question. What was your motivation for creating the book? It just seems like a vast, just like massive undertaking. The NBA is just like a massive universe. So what was the motivation for creating this book? Yeah, pretty quickly I realized that I was diving into a pretty uh, a bigger endeavor than maybe I initially uh, anticipated. But um, um, essentially, I mean, uh, the publishing company had reached out to me. You know, they, were, they had done a previous book similar to this um, with the NHL. And with the, it was the, to celebrating the NHL's 100th anniversary. So then to celebrate the NBA's 75th anniversary coming up, the idea came about to uh, do a similar book. Um, I left at the opportunity. I mean, I've always looked for any kind of way to tie in NBA history, hoops history to any work I was doing, um, whether it was covering the Raptors uh, in a kind of a beat capacity or, or, or writing magazine profiles, whatever I was doing, you know, I was always trying to get that history angle in there. That was always what kind of I was most interested in. So to, to have the chance to write a, a book spanning the NBA's history, I mean, it was like it was like a good dream. It was, uh, like I said, a no brainer. Was there any surprises that you came across in the book that you were like, man, I didn't expect this when doing your research or anything that was just that you wouldn't think uh, when you were writing this book? Anything that surprised you or shocked you at all? You know, I'll, like the, uh, I'll try to find something specific. The cop-out answer is a lot. Um, <laughs> the way, kind of the way I, I went about it was uh, started off with – so the, the gimmick of the book for people who haven't um, checked out yet is uh, NBA 75. Uh, it's one story for each year spanning 75 years of NBA history. Um, so the kind of first step was to figure out, you know, which 75 stories are we going to tell? Um, you know, which story from each year stands out the most and whatnot. And, and from there, uh, when you start diving into those particular stories after that list was kind of locked in, um, within there, you know, I had an idea of, of what the story was going in, obviously, um, cause I put it on that list, but, but for, in a lot of cases, I maybe didn't know, um, quite the depths of, of how intense some of these players' uh, personal stories were in, in some cases. Uh, you know, Dr. J comes to mind. I had known a ton about Dr. J, the player. I had known a little bit about Dr. J, the person. And uh, while putting together uh, the chapter that that kind of serves as a profile on him, learned a lot about his family's background, um, dealing with his, his brother's illness and whatnot, just things about him that were going on in the background that I, I had no idea about. I think a lot of uh, uh, basketball fans um, probably weren't aware of and aren't aware of um so in every chapter there was there were little tidbits like that that kind of got uncovered uh and in a big picture way you know i'm trying to think of the best way to say like one of the things that really stood out was uh the degree to which this kind of background of um the fight against racism the fight against prejudice how that was present um obviously in the earliest days you're talking about a league that started uh, in 46 is an all white league. Um, and it was not the smoothest transition to becoming an integrated league. Um, you know, there was, a even, even towards like the, the first, the first crop of NBA players were, or not mainly, but predominantly like Jewish American players. And there was a ton of, of shit that was thrown their way, um, right from the earliest day. And then to be able to draw that through line all the way up to today, you know, things like, uh, the dress code, uh, you know, the chapter on Allen Iverson certainly dives into a lot of the, the the ways these kind of um, uh, not storylines these kind of issues resurface over the years and that I did that really surprised me I didn't I didn't uh, uh, anticipate the degree to which 
that garbage kind of uh, was there at the beginning and has continued in the background all the way until today, obviously. Since you bring that up, what was your thoughts with the the bubble? Because that was front and center with social justice. So you're, you're doing this research and then the, the bubble happens. What was kind of your, your thoughts in terms of kind of the, the George Floyd and social justice movement with not only the NBA, but the WNBA too as a collective? Because I think you saw one league, it's the WNBA, be unified, whereas the NBA, there is conflicting voices as to what to do. So what was your, your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, all I was thinking as the whole thing was unfolding, all I was thinking was like, uh, there's precedent for this in a way, you know, we've seen these players, uh, NBA players have to come together and deal with these kind of issues before. And here we are, um, like I said, just kind of being stunned, to be honest, Um, almost like speeches that like, here we are 2020 at the time, and and we're still having those players are still having those same conversations huddled in in locker rooms or in conference rooms, as was the case in the bubble. Um, So that's what I was thinking. Uh, the way when the book came out, we do have a little bit about the bubble in the book, but because of the timing, um, uh, the bubble hadn't started by the time this book was out or by the time it was sent to printers or whatever the case was. So, so the other thing I was thinking was I couldn't, I, you know, I would have loved to have a chapter on the bubble. And this is like a huge moment in NBA history. It absolutely deserves its own chapter. Like I recently found out that I will be doing a paper book uh, version of this that will come out next fall with a couple updated chapters and one of them is going to be on the bubble. So I'm, I'm excited to be able to kind of dive into this a little, a little further. So myself and my co-host, um, we've interviewed other journalists and we've asked them about like their experiences covering the NBA. So I'll ask you this same question in terms of during the pandemic, what was it like covering the league during that time? And then also what is it like now in terms of you as a journalist, in terms of things are opening up again, it seems like, you know, despite the Delta variants, um, so far if things go um, stay as status quo, there'll be fans and hopefully media access. Um, a lot of the journalists were concerned that some of the um, restrictions that or existed during the pandemic could stay around, like the Zoom press conferences, the lack of locker room access. Um, are you concerned that that could be a trend even if the pandemic happens to be remedied? I, I think it was already there before the pandemic. Yeah. You know, I think the pandemic um, gave players a perfect opportunity to uh, kind of like double down on, on uh, let's call it restricted access. Uh, but I, I've seen it, you know, throughout the course of my, career over the last 10 years uh, a pretty dramatic change uh, you know i can't even imagine had i been around uh longer 20 30 years how much more access you would have had back then but even in, in in my time in this industry like i said about 12 years or so when i first started um granted the toronto raptors weren't a very good team not 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 as popular but like i got access you know when i was doing uh, stories on these guys I would spend the day with them. I'd go to practice when no one else was there. Whatever, I got access. You know, I got time with the players and the coaches and whoever. <clears throat> and I just, even the last few years, I've seen that um, completely go away. I mean, you know, there'll be the odd exception, you know, where maybe that'll happen. But for the most part, um, that's the biggest change I've seen is, is just uh, a lack of, like, real time with, with, with players. Um, you know, uh, a lot more scrums, which, you know, not a fan of the scrum. The scrum is the enemy of good journalism in a lot of cases. Um, and, and, you know, now all everything, it's all, they're all scrums all on zoom. You know, there's obviously um, you might be able to get lucky and get someone on their, on their cell phone or get a line into somebody. Um, but for the most part that like real access. And again, I'm, I'm talking, I'm coming from a place of someone who uh, let's say like a feature writer, you know, um, more profile writing, that, that kind of approach. Where where you need time and access to players and I, and 
you know, I did a story on Kawhi Leonard, big profile on Kawhi Leonard uh, in a magazine up here in uh, Canada, right when he came to the Raptors. And I mean, if that were a few years earlier, I know Kawhi is a special case, but I probably would have gotten a little more time with him. I end up getting like 10 minutes to, you know, do all my research around it and then get my brief window of time with Kawhi to, to go and put and write this like 4,000 word profile. So it's, uh, it's a different environment, man. It's just completely different. And, and I think it's just going to keep going in that direction. Did you observe? Oh, okay. I just, want to, I just yeah. want to say, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. It's a bad sure. thing for probably for people who like that kind of reading, that kind of writing yeah. for writers like myself who enjoy it. But you know, like who am I to say that these guys should spend time with uh, writers like me or journalists, you know, um, to put myself in my shoes, I would probably want to do one zoom meeting and get it all over with as well. So what do you think changed? Did you, observe any of the changes writing the book in terms of the players trusting the media more in terms of telling their stories and and how much do you think social media has been like a game changer in terms of players having the the access to tell their own stories as well as the players tribune and well as you know other visual mediums which they can control their own narrative instead of just eliminating the journalists and they can control that that narrative and like you said i don't think it's necessarily it's it's a bummer because you know the players are biased they want to tell their story from their perspective course, so, yeah. um we don't get like the full picture but at the same time it kind of works both ways did you observe that when you were covering these stories perhaps you know in years prior before social media that players felt easier the, talking to the media or telling their stories did you see any of that yeah justin i think you nailed it man i think you nailed it it's um uh Obviously, before you know, uh, for a player to participate in a story, agree to do a story, they had their motivations. Sometimes, sometimes they didn't, which is great. But I mean, like, yeah, it's it's viewed as like a way to get their their voice out necessarily. And and you as the writer, um, it's up to you to kind of uh, not filter that voice, but uh, verify that voice. You know, like present that, but also present the full story and where it's applicable. You know, whatever. Now guys can just tell their side of the story and only their side of the story. And that's and they put it up on their social media channels. It gets exposed to just as many people, if not more than than the magazine article, you know, would have. Um, and, and yeah, and it's been a it's been a total game changer. Guys have control over their narratives, so to speak, and and you know, which is a good thing. And uh, and I guess it's not surprising to see why people would be more players, personnel would be leaning towards kind of putting their own message out and kind of skipping the middleman in a sense. Um, I want to shift gears and, and talk about your book again. And I want to ask you before writing the book, did you have, I want to ask first, I guess how I'm trying to phrase this question. Basically, what was your favorite period in the NBA? And did that change while writing the book at all? Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it changed, you know, my favorite period, first of all, like uh, for nostalgic personal reason reasons like the late 90s nba early 2000s nba this is like that's like the climate where i really really kind of grew up um in in the league i'm 35 right now so so i have a natural tie to there you know that's where like you you know all the players so intimately but that being said i was always so drawn to uh 70s nba uh and and 60s nba in particular i'd say like the what, what you would call like the heyday of the nba uh the the period from let's say 59 to 72 um, when all these kind of mythical figures seem to come, come through the league, you know, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, Elgin Baylor, um, you know, those, those are guys who I, I grew up reading about 
um eventually like when youtube started getting more popular you could find more and more clips of them you know i would devour um documentaries any anything i could find on, on that stuff um i'm not sure why i just i was always really really intrigued by it i guess it was it was the notion of like watching um the first like version 1.0 of something that's to come you know I, I was i was really drawn by that plus plus the landscape of being a pro athlete at that time was just completely different you know these yeah yeah they may have been like celebrities to some degree but it's just like uh what they went through was just so much more intense so much more real than than maybe a lot of players now might be going through but yeah i'd say i'd say that uh, that 60s decade was chock full of the players who i kind of idolize yeah Gotcha. And I, I feel you on like the early 90s, early 2000s. I think that's kind of a special place in my heart. Yeah. Um, and I was I was a Vince Carter guy as, gotcha. like a, as like a teenager. Let's put it that way. I, I think, um, I, of course, I'm an MJ guy. Also, Allen Iverson, just kind of his style as well. But Vince, Vince Carter, too, um, that 2000 slam dunk contest, um, very iconic. Um, to, to this day, Justin, the coolest thing I, I – for me, the coolest thing I've, I've worked on, this book was awesome. I had a blast. I love it. But I, I did an oral history on the 2000 Slam Dunk Contest. Oh, really? And I spoke to Vince about it. Yeah. And I like who knows how many times he's had to talk about that thing. But um, I got a call from him like around like, I think it was like the day before Christmas one year. And like, um, uh, he, we talked about it for like two and a half hours. It was nuts. He broke, broke down the entire thing. It was, it was That's the coolest thing I've been a part of, the coolest project I've been a part of by far. The electricity of watching that, I've yeah. never felt in any other sporting events. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of hard to explain. See, I'm just, I'm trying to think I'm like a freshman in high school at the time and just watching it on TV, just every, just the anticipation of what he's going to do. I've never seen anything right. like right. it. It was such an incredible performance. And since you bring that up, I, I think now the slams dunk contest gets, you know, a bad rap and there's always like some kind of controversy and there's just a lot of drama behind it. But for those, cause I mean, it's, it's weird. Like both of us are the same age, 35. There's, you know, a lot of like kids that they need never even heard of that slam dunk contest possibly or don't know these yeah, significance. Yeah. So since, since you brought that up, can you kind of take us back in time during that slam dunk contest why is it so significant and why like if there's you know like i don't know like a 12 year old or something watching this now that's like 2000 slam dunk contest why do i want to want to want to watch that excuse me why yeah, is that so important like i like i i think okay i think part of it is um he was legitimately doing stuff that you hadn't seen before yeah you know um and i think that's like true to a degree but you know i think the dunkers today I still get up for the slam dunk contest every year, and I usually walk away somewhat disappointed because I'm I'm waiting for like that next Vince moment, right? And it, yeah. it's happened. It's happened a few times, like uh, Jason Richardson that one year. That was amazing. Dwight Howard had his moments. I mean, it's it's happened, but uh, yeah, I think he was doing stuff that we hadn't seen before. Now uh, stuff like the and one tour and the professional dunkers and whatnot. It's kind of spoiled. It's spoiled contest dunks in, 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 a, in a sense. When we see the guys in the NBA do it, we've seen a version of that or something better um, on some outdoor court or some random gym somewhere on, on, on the internet. Um, but you weren't exposed to dunks like that uh, at the time. And Vince was doing stuff you'd never seen before. The other big part of it, I think, was that he hit his dunks on the first attempt. Yep. Um, I think he stopped for one. For one of them, he like ran up, was going to jump, but he didn't actually take off. Um, and then he did it again, but he was nailing his first dunks. I think that makes a huge difference in terms of the, uh, you're talking about like the crowd energy and, and whatnot. And then also it was a killer contest all around. 
like what P-Mac was doing and Steve Francis. I mean, it was just really, uh, it was a fun show. And to see these guys keep one-upping each other, just kind of like uh, it built to that. But, but, but the long story short, it was because of Vince's athleticism. It's because it remains kind of unparalleled. Um, I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if you'll agree with me. I, I feel like I don't want to, it's I'm like, I'm 35. So like, I don't want to talk like I'm like some kind of old person here, but I feel like a lot of the younger audience, right. <laughs> a lot of the younger audience of the NBA, I think don't really understand like the history of the league. And I think that was quite apparent with the last dance that came out just in terms of realizing how wow. Michael yeah. Jordan was and just yeah. that, that team. And not only that, but the other cinema figures around it, like from the Houston Rockets, the New York Knicks, all the, all those players in, in that time period. Yeah. Do you think the, I guess the television networks, do, do you think they do a good enough job of really showing the history of the league because i feel like that's a missing component in the presentation these days in terms of kind of presenting kind of the history of the league because i don't i don't know i remember just growing up i that was shown like there's like an appreciation of yeah the the players in the past like even um in the 90s they did the whole i forget the top 50 players of the league yeah the anniversary the anniversary yeah and it's just this year is the absolutely i think the 75th anniversary so i'm wondering i i hope that there's just a a movement towards history and i don't feel that's been representative you know i I don't know if you agree with that i agree completely with that um i'm obviously biased but i i do agree that not enough is is made of like the league's history and you talk about like television tv presentations and whatnot they don't show that much of it you know, to some degree, like, what's their motivation to show a lot of it? You know, better, better to hype up the players of today and 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 sell them to to a growing audience and whatnot. Um, but you know, you know, when we saw Giannis uh, dominating in the finals, there, you people were making the comparisons to Shaq and whatnot. And then everyone's while, you know, because he dropped fifty in a you know finals game like that, people were making comparisons to Wilt, and I was pulling my hair out. You know, um, <laughs> I was just going crazy thinking like. Like it's great that we're having these conversations, but like then actually have the conversation. You can't you can't just throw out stuff like uh, comparisons to World Chamberlain like lightly. Um, obviously, it's a testament to what Giannis is doing, but yeah, I, I think there's uh, not enough is, is made of this, you know this year. You've mentioned so with the 75th anniversary, and I've heard that they are going to put out some kind of top 75 players list. So uh, I'm sure you'll hear more and more about it. Um, I know I'm working uh, in consultation with the league on the video history series that they're putting together. Um, so they're doing, th- they're doing more this year, certainly to amplify the, the anniversary. So we'll give a, an opportunity for people to learn more about the origins and about some of the, the players I was naming, like the Jerry West and Oscar Robertson. These people might know the names, but I don't think they really appreciate just how good they were. Um, or they dismiss them and say, ah, well, they wouldn't be good today, which I think is a, I think is a, gar- a trash argument because, uh, it's the talent. It's their talent that really made them who they were. And if you were to bring them to, to today with today's tools and and and, and whatnot and, and knowledge, that talent would still be there. So they would just be that much better. I don't know. That's just kind of how, that's how, how, how I approach it. Yeah. But I, I, I think you're going to see more this year, I hope, of, of Hoops history. I hope so, too. Um, I think that'd be, be an awesome thing. Um, I wanted to ask you, since you're based in Canada and you have a vast experience covering the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Um, I think when, you know, being, you know, based in America, um, I don't think there's an appreciation of the the growth of the game of basketball in Canada. So can you kind of, I don't know, it, it, this question, I, I, it, 
it might be unfair just to, for you to summarize in this, you know, in a short period. But um, I, I want to ask because I'm so curious. This since the Raptors became, you know, in addition to the league in the '90s to now, when the Raptors, you know, won the title most recently, can you kind of you know, talk about the growth of the game in that country. Just, I remember um, this, you know, a couple of years ago, I think the international team came out for Canada. You just saw this have massive improvement compared to what it was like decades prior to that. So yeah. can you kind of just speak to get the growth of the game there into some context compared to it's the game of basketball compared to like baseball or hockey. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's one measurement you just used that I think is a good one to, to kind of encapsulate the growth of the game. I think the NBA has, I think outside of the U.S., the most most uh, second place in terms of uh, uh, players in the NBA is, is Canada. I mean, there's more Canadians than any other country except for for America. Um, and they're and they're all and they're almost all young up and coming guys. You know, like Shea Gilgis Alexander, yeah. Dort, and whatnot. Um, I guess Wiggins as well. But uh, but so that's one measure. Like obviously, by producing all these NBA talent, it's obviously that that there's more players coming up in this country. Uh, from a fan perspective, it's been an unbelievable, uh, almost like night and day difference. And I think the Raptors 2019 title run really took things to another level. So when the Raptors first started in, in 95, there was bas- there were basketball fans in Canada, um, but not many. Uh, and I, I think the ones who were following the Raptors were kind of, those were the basketball fans in Canada, so the small kind of loyal um, Napoleonic complex kind of uh, group, uh, and then uh, when Vince Carter came along, there was a, a big soar in popularity. You know, I think a lot of people forget for a couple years there he was the most popular player in the league. You know, leading All Star vote getter, top jersey sales, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that obviously translated to more and more fans coming on board. But you know, when when Vince left, um, yeah, there's some good years. There's some good years with Chris Bosh and whatnot. But they, but the Raptors became pretty irrelevant um, for a while there. Uh, it was it was ugly, the Barnani years, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> I defend that pick. But that's a different story. Um, uh, and then when you saw the recent run where with uh, Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry, when that kind of backcourt really took off and the Raptors started reaching the playoffs more and more, you know Toronto, great sports town, bandwagon sports town though. So like the Raptors had to be a winner to get all these people on board to follow them. And I think the same is true of of the national basketball audience in Canada and then yeah that, that championship run you know there was three million two million people who came up for that for the championship parade yeah. um so that kind of shows kind of shows you just how far things had come I and mean, that was unthinkable when the team first started playing it was unthinkable five years ago um and then to see it happen just a couple of years ago was, was was pretty impressive and now basketball is one of the most popular sports in Canada um I, I don't think it'll top hockey anytime soon. I don't know if it ever will, but you see it. It's you see it um, rising along with soccer. Um, in terms of like uh, the number of, of kids playing the sport, it's it's one of the fastest growing in the country for sure, and it's only going to keep going that way. So I'll, I'll let you go with this final question. Um, that the go conversation gets brought up all the time, and you have great perspective in this, and I feel like. When people compare different eras, they just have recency bias and their emotions get involved. And I don't think it's a very, it's a very nuanced and kind of difficult conversation to have. So in your mind, when trying to compare eras, instead of asking you, okay, like who's better, Michael Jordan or MJ, I want to ask you, what is the criteria of breaking down who is better in what era? What should be considered and what should be thrown out and not considered at all? Well, I mean, if you're talking like just measuring like on the court, who's the best player? 
Uh, a pretty good one is is just to you put them in context of the people they were playing against. Um, you know, that's like kind of step one. So like uh, go back to Wilt or someone like Bill Russell. Um, you know, you have to consider like if, if, if someone's averaging 50 points a game, if someone's go if Will Chamberlain's playing the Celtics, going against Bill Russell, this great defender, and gets 55 rebounds, um, uh, you know we can't dismiss that just because it was 1962 or whatever. You know what I mean? So I think uh, uh, how they performed in their era really does matter. Um, then the second step you do is kind of like I was talking about before. Like you, it, you do almost want to, or it's it's hard not to because it's it's part of the conversation. How would that they translate to today? You know how how would they how would they compare? And that's where. And, you know, I think most people would translate pretty well when we talk about the greats. Uh, like I said, like Oscar Robertson would still be uh, crazy talented. Uh, Dr. J, his hops are still there and he's still just as smart of a, a player. Uh, he'd be even smarter today with more access to the information and whatnot. Um, but maybe a guy like George Mikan, who's who was like fundamentally sound, but his biggest skill was that he was just bigger than everyone. Maybe he wouldn't stack up um, as well today as someone like Wilt would, who also brought the athleticism and brought some of those skills that, that you would need. So you look around like at the all around skill set, basically. Um, and then, and then the other part of it is like influence. Yeah. And that's where I think the conversation, uh, that's one of the reasons it gets whittled down to two names, Jordan and LeBron. Cause if we were talking pure basketball skills, I do think you'd have to include Wilt. I do think you'd have to include, uh, Russell just for his, uh, defensive ability and, and the the way he won. Um, but really, really, when it comes to influence, nobody can touch Jordan and LeBron. And when you look even closer, you know, uh, you mentioned recency bias, and I know it's the reason why people go for LeBron. But when it comes to shaping the game of basketball, shaping the NBA, nobody touches Michael Jordan. It's not, it's not a contest. Um, and I think that has to be factored in when people talk about the GOAT, you know. Um, I, I really think it does. Uh, also the guy never lost in the finals and things like that. I think those are like, it's a close, it's a close contest. So you kind of, kind of, you have to pick which of these little trivia bits you enjoy the most, you know what I mean? And, and something like the finals argument is, is, is one of the reasons why, you know, people gravitate towards Jordan and I, and I'm, I'm definitely one of them. Uh, the, but the biggest reason though, sorry, I'm, I'm ranting here. The biggest reason being because he completely changed the NBA. A lot of people have changed the game of basketball um got magic johnson larry bird made a they changed the league as well to a degree but what jordan did with the nba taking it from uh you know a kind of second rate league to to an extent at least compared to uh other pro pro major sports football baseball whatever uh and jordan brought into this multi multi billion dollar enterprise global enterprise and i don't think uh and i, I don't think we can we should forget that or, or treat it lightly yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I, I think MJ is the greatest of all time. Um, my concern is that, you know, as time goes on, his legacy will somewhat be forgotten. And I guess maybe that's just a, um, a victim of just time passing in general, just because... Which is, um, which is natural to some degree, right? Yeah, it is. I, I, I think the last dance helped. But it's one of those things, until you've kind of lived in that era, I don't think people understand how much of a global star Michael Jordan was. And just when you saw him on the court, it was like a privilege to see him. And with LeBron, no disrespect, he's a great player, but I don't feel, it's not like 
I don't know. I don't feel privileged when I'm watching yeah. I wonder how much of that is you seeing him, Jordan through the eyes of like a 13 year old and seeing LeBron maybe. through the eyes of a 35 year old man. Maybe. Good point. I, I think I think about it, that all the time. I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm so impressed by the players today. There's so many cool players and so many great ones, but I don't have that like, Ooh, kind of like feeling that I, I had with a lot of the guys like the, the Vinces or whoever, um, growing up, you mentioned like Iverson, like those guys, Amari Stoudemire when he started, you know, like, um, and I, part of that is just like you get older. I, I think that's a, 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 at least a small, a small part of it. Um, but yeah, like Jordan, I, I don't think he can be touched. And you know, to a degree, like you're going back to your very first question, like to a degree, I didn't even realize. I knew Jordan was huge, obviously. Um, but when you started really doing the research, and a, part, a lot of the research I was doing was like reading uh, old articles of the, from the day. Uh, you really got a sense of how much this guy was, as you alluded to, like a guy who walked into the room and everybody's head turned. Um, I will say that ooh and ah feeling. Um, I think I had that for Steph Curry. Like, yeah, good, and, good example. And yeah. It's one of those things where he, it's he's like a musician, like just on the court, and yeah. the, the, the shot he takes, I haven't seen anybody takes those shots before. And I think, I think, with I, LeBron, I, think I, have, I have that feeling for Scotty Barnes. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, good start. <laughs> um, I, well, I think with LeBron, I mean, he was, I remember him in high school and I remember like, you know, just checking him out, just, you know, just on my local high school computer, just, you know, in terms of his days in Ohio. And I wasn't, I wasn't in awe of him, but it's, I don't know that with Michael Jordan, it just felt like he was a global sports star. And I think with LeBron, he's a great basketball player. And I think where LeBron overtakes Michael in a, in a different category is just his uh, impact on social issues. And um, no question, no question. Yeah. Like Jordan, Jordan has the really that famous quote: "Republicans buy sneakers yep. too." You know, um, yeah. LeBron has taken a more a, a, a bigger stance certainly um, than than Jordan in that regard. Yep. No question. Also, yeah. the long the longevity. That's like a, at some point, if you like, at some point the argument will come down to numbers and. Uh, by virtue of having a career twice as long, potentially, um, that'll that's you know LeBron will always have that the upper hand uh, in that regard. Um, you know, a lot of that is due to technology and training techniques and nutrition and things we know now, and also because LeBron's, uh, uh, it's no shame to be second behind Michael Jordan in the conversation of the greatest of all time. Um, yeah. Well, a lot of people would put Kobe, you know, certainly ahead of both of them. Um, Kobe was an amazing, an amazing score, an amazing yeah. score. Agreed. Yeah, for some reason though, he falls short of that that tier. He, um, he was a great defender too, so I don't know why, but maybe it's because of the, I don't know, the volume of the shots. I'm not sure. Right, and I think there's some like ugly playoff moments where you know it's right, evident right, right. that he did not perform at all. So that's kind of like a black mark on his record. But yeah, it's just, it's a fascinating conversation to have because I just think that as the league evolves, it's just going to be interesting how kind of that go conversation takes place now with like especially. I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but with Luca, we never seen a player like that with that caliber of skill so early. So. And to be doing that at that age, yeah, yeah. Like if he continues on that track, yeah, yeah. So the conversation has to be able to evolve. Like people yeah. like you and I have to be able to be willing to say Agreed. a name other than Jordan, you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, 
but that's it. I'm not there yet. Yeah, me either. Agreed. <laughs> well, Dave, uh, thank you very much for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Um, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media and then anything else you're working on and you have any upcoming projects as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dave Zarum, Dave Zarum, Z-A-R-U-M. Um, uh, like I mentioned with the NBA 75 book, that's available. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Probably have a copy here. Uh, yeah, you can get it on uh, Amazon, wherever wherever books are sold, you can get it. You can get it at the library, too. Go check it out at the library. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and like I said, the paper book edition is coming out next fall, and it's going to have some updated chapters, including one on the bubble, probably one on Chris Paul. People can tweet me and, and suggest updated chapters they want to read, but we have a pretty good idea of where we'll go with it. Uh, yeah, and I got some other projects in the works. I mentioned that NBA video series. You can look out for that. Uh, I'm not sure where it will surface, but something's on the go. Yeah. Check out the book is what I would say. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the chat. Really enjoy it. And again, thanks for coming on the show. Be on the lookout for that updated um, NBA 75. And we'll be staying tuned for that NBA video series as well. Looking forward to checking that out too. Thanks, man. Thank you, Justin. Thanks, Dave.